You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. We begin with the flood situation in BC and it's getting worse. One home destroyed, others evacuated and parts of two major highways now underwater. Days of hot weather resulting in rapid snowmelt and swamping communities in the interior. As Aaron MacArthur reports, the worst hit area so far is Cash Creek. Thick. Dirty water pouring through the village of Cache Creek Wednesday. Mud and debris strewn across the highway. We've gone from uh, an emergency to a disaster. Cache Creek often floods this time of year. Upgraded infrastructure, including a new culvert, has proven insufficient for an unprecedented volume of runoff. Five homeowners are under evacuation order, dozens more on alert. Businesses at the junction of Highway 1 and 97 are inundated. Cash Creek is flowing through motel rooms and restaurants. Business owners scrambling to lay down sandbags to keep the water out. It's the first time that we did sandbagging around here. And did it help? Yeah, it helped. Even the fire hall is covered with up to half a meter of mud. The gear still inside. The village now relying on Ashcroft for any fire calls. Uh, this happened in 2015, and same. It was months before we got our haul back to home. The flood risk escalated quickly this month. After a cool April, a sudden shift to warm weather accelerated snowmelt and pushed creeks past their capacity. The community of Parker Cove on the west side of Okanagan Lake saw a huge surge of water Tuesday. The torrent. Now just a trickle, but the damage is done. The forecast not doing communities in the southern interior any favors. The flood risk will remain high right through the weekend. I think that the kind of next week, you know, is going to be the critical window for a lot of these smaller, mid-sized rivers. The concern now in Cache Creek is the stability of the transportation infrastructure. Highway 1 and 97 both closed in both directions. There is worry the raging creek has undercut the roadway. And while heavy equipment is being used to clear the debris, there's little anyone can do until the water goes down. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Now, in the Slocan Valley, it wasn't a flood, but a landslide prompting evacuations. While several people have been given the green light to return home, they could be ordered to leave again at any moment. Jennifer Palma has more on the conditions that triggered the slide and the damage left behind. Mud and debris cover the landscape surrounding several homes in Valakin, a community about 45 minutes northwest of Nelson in the central Kootenay. Horrible day. Oh, today's better than yesterday. Yes, yesterday is when it happened. Eight residents of three properties were placed under evacuation order, but this person stayed behind, determined to protect his home and property, where the force of the slide moved his vehicle and put his animals and pets at risk. Everything was threatened. Lost a couple ducks, lost a couple chickens, lost a, a pheasant. Cats are all accounted for. It was, it was pretty crazy. Another five properties were placed on evacuation alert and Little Slocan South Road was shut down. Now the cleanup is underway. It's part of being in this valley. All these houses are on the floodplain, the river. This is all like alluvial um, riverbed. So, I mean, it was pushed out from all the wash down from these giant mountains. 
Temperatures hit 30 degrees this past week, causing snow to melt and significant rain in April helped lead to this landslide that took place around 3 Tuesday afternoon, adding fuel to the slide, a previous wildfire. The leftover material or lack thereof from the wildfire uh, previously in Talbot Creek and resulted in, in a debris flow uh, down the channel of a, of a smaller creek. Uh, and then uh, as a result, uh, the, the creek had a bit of a, uh, a failure in one, uh, one of its banks, and that's resulted in it, in it coming down and, and creating the landslide. There is some good news for residents. Some can return home. A geotechnical survey was completed and only one property remains on evacuation order and three on alert. The road will reopen to local traffic. But the province and regional district are advising residents to be ready to leave within a moment's notice as more rain is expected for the region in the coming days. Jennifer Palma, Global News. And senior meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us now for a look at what's coming up in the days ahead for those regions already impacted. Christy? Well, Sophie, it's not uh, shaping up to be a great scenario, that's for sure. As you know, we've had prolonged heat over the last little while. We've got still two more days of heat on the way. Temperatures are expected to come down, but then that's when the rainfall is going to shift in. So by Friday, periods of rain heavy at times with thunderstorms, and then we'll continue to see that rainfall. Thankfully, temperatures come down a little bit as that rainfall shifts in. But nonetheless, BC River Forecast Centre says this. They have moderate concerns. This is now through Friday, particularly for the central interior and the Okanagan region. Then, starting on Friday, a moderate concerns for the Grand, Grand Forks area. Then, as we head into the weekend, they have significant concerns for the following four areas. It includes Central Interior, the Okanagan region, Boundary, and the South Kootenai region. So we'll be tracking this very closely in the days to come. So back to you. All right, thanks, Christy. Now, it's not just flooding British Columbians are concerned about. Wildfire season is also underway, and a new survey finds more than 75% of residents are worried. First on-site property restoration surveyed 1,500 Canadians about their thoughts on wildfires. Nearly half of Canadians are troubled, with British Columbians the most concerned, while residents in Ontario are the least concerned at about 32%. Already this year, three areas in BC's interior have been under evacuation alert or order due to wildfire. BC minor hockey is in the news once again. The focus of controversy. Parents of a Surrey team are angry their coach has been let go by his minor hockey association. As Krista Dow reports, it all started with accusations of racial insults during a game. This would have been the first time we played them after that incident happened. Hockey parent and assistant coach Justin Sayson says he's still in the dark two and a half months after an alleged racist incident on the ice. He says his son and other 10-year-old players on the Surrey Thunder Adams were harassed with racial insults hurled at them from some players on the Ridge Meadows team. He was being called a monkey and another player came up afterwards because they're all on the bench, you know, like um, telling me what they've heard, um, said they heard the N-word. So, you know, putting all these things together, we knew that it wasn't just a, a word anymore. Many of the boys of South Asian descent. Saison says after complaints to on-ice officials were ignored, a decision was made to pull the team from the ice. They, they don't know how to handle it, right? The kids at 9 and 10 don't have tools to, to deal with that type of situation. So, um, yeah, so for that reason, we thought it wasn't safe for them to be out there again anymore. There's kids on our team on the bench at this time that were crying. They didn't want to go back on the ice. And I went to the, as the head coach, I brought the other coaches in and as a group we made the decision 
that this was unsafe. Head coach Brian McGilvery was later suspended for 30 days for not finishing the game. Two months later, he was fired by Surrey Minor Hockey Association. He says he was not told why. A second investigation into the incident was sent to Hockey Canada. The original allegation was that there were some slurs. Um, that goes in front of the independent third party, which is Hockey Canada's independent um, uh, uh, organization for investigating all of these claims. Ridge Meadows Hockey Association says it is cooperating with the independent investigation but denies allegations that their 9- and 10-year-old children used racial slurs or knowingly made comments that could be inferred as racist. If it's true, if it's true that those are the kind of things uh, that were said and that they were directed um, as, a, uh, as a racial slur, um, not only is it ridiculous, um, think about what we're talking about. We're thinking about 10-year-olds. BC Hockey says it's waiting for the investigation to conclude to comment. And in spite of a groundswell of support from parents to reinstate popular head coach Brian McGilvery, Surrey Minor Hockey says it fully supported his decision to pull the team, but says it's parting ways with him because of his coaching style. Krista Dow, Global News. And the controversy over the firing of the coach has prompted both federal and provincial politicians to get involved. BC MPs Parham Baines and Sook Dollywal have written a letter to the BC Amateur Hockey Association expressing their concerns about the allegations of discrimination and asking for more details as to what took place. And BC MLA and Cabinet Minister Ravi Kalan says he would like to meet with Surrey Hockey to talk to them about the issue. Sports are an important way to keep kids out of trouble. Uh, we know that, uh, I know that, and uh, we should be encouraging more opportunities for young people to participate. Tenants of a Surrey apartment have been told to either agree to a 40% rent increase or they could be evicted. More than two dozen residents received the letter saying their units could be put on the market if they don't agree to the price hike. And as Janet Brown reports, it appears to be completely legal. <laughs> we're all stressed beyond belief, but we're not sleeping. He gets to say whatever happens. And Rod Hill gets emotional talking about the letter he's received from the landlord of his Surrey condo building. I can't afford to spend another four hundred dollars. You know, I don't, I don't have a lot, any debts, but I just my main expenses, the hydro and phone, etc., and the rent. There's no way I can just come up with for about four or five hundred dollars. He's rented at Winsome Place Apartments at 120th Street near 80th Avenue for 15 years. And a notice from the landlord to him and about 30 other tenants is asking them to agree to a rent increase of roughly 40%. And if not, their units could be sold. I have kids that I could go and live with, but I don't want to burden them. The guy who owns all three of them is the man. Linda D. Gonzalez has lived here for 21 years. She pays just over $1,000 a month in rent and is facing a rent increase to $1,450 a month. So, yeah, shock and dismay doesn't even begin to... I, I was devastated. I know Rod was, too. We tried reaching out to the building owner. Hi there, you reached John. Leave me your name and number. I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Thank you. A tenant rights advocate says what is happening is not uncommon and not illegal. A landlord is allowed to ask a tenant if they will agree to an above guideline rent increase and a landlord is allowed to sell their building. 
Now, it might be that there's some argument that by doing these things at the same time, they might be running afoul some way of the law, but it's not really clear, and it seems from the surface that this is something that they're allowed to do. The tenants have until May 10th to agree to the rent increases, and if they don't, the letter from the landlord says their undervalued suite may be put up for sale by July 1st. Janet Brown, Global News. A new approach to health care services on the downtown east side with the opening today of a clinic designed to be kind of a one-stop shop for a wide range of needs. How proponents think this could make a difference for vulnerable residents. Next on the News Hour. Uh, the night vision helicopter is in Alberta fighting wildfires. Concerns about the loss of a key piece of rescue equipment for the summer. Why a BC-based helicopter has left the province. That's coming up tonight. Plus, a powerful tool opening up a world of options. The many possibilities and uncertainties of a quantum economy later. Right now, though, a new health clinic is opening its doors on the downtown east side. The Vancouver Urban Health Centre brings together a team of doctors, nurses and addiction care specialists. As Grace Key reports, the clinic is designed to help provide more consistent access to health care for those living in the neighbourhood. The Vancouver Urban Health Centre officially opened on Main Street in the heart of the downtown east side. Organizers say what makes this centre different is that it offers several health care needs under one roof. Urban Health Centre connected with SRX Peer Pharmacy right downstairs from us will offer integrated health care services, pharmacy services, mobile services. You have a government form, we'll fill it out. You need treatment for hep C, we'll provide you that. You need to be engaged in addiction care, we'll do all of those things for you in an integrated way and committing to do it for the long term. They started with community pop-up clinics working primarily with Atira Housing and many of its female tenants who experience gender violence. The key was to knock down barriers with the way the current system is set up. Building relationships to many of our, with our tenants is one of the, the um, key things that will get them in to access health care. And so the fact that they were coming into our buildings, getting to know our tenants, building relationships and trust with our tenants so their tenants would then um, seek health, health uh, primary health care or health care. So um, it's been going really well. Um, our tenants are getting health care that they weren't getting before. The centre is a partnership between Atera Housing, Vancouver Infectious Disease Centre and SRX Health Solutions. For now, the clinic is being funded through grants. Doctors, nurses and support staff saw up to 30 patients during the half days of their soft opening, adding they are clearly meeting a need. Grace Key, Global News. Kamloops Council is banning drug use in parks and public places, effectively taking the matter out of the hands of the provincial government by addressing it as a nuisance issue rather than a public health one. Keith Baldry joins us with more on this. Keith, other municipalities have been calling on the province to enact mm -hmm. a similar ban. Yes, that list of cities is growing, Sophie. So Camelot's the latest. Sycamus, Campbell River, and Penticton have either talked about passing such a bylaw or have done so. And that list is growing as sort of the unintended consequence of decriminalization are as people using controlled substances in public spaces, leaving behind drug paraphernalia and like. Uh, the BC United Party has raised an issue of finding needles and pipes in schoolyards. And one of those MLAs raising the issue is a Camloops MLA, Camloops North Thompson, Peter Millibar, who raised it in the House yesterday. We caught up with him in the hallway today. He says he's puzzled why the government's digging in its heels on this issue. 
the fact that government is pushing back so hard on one of the most basic guardrails we could have in place, which would be to make sure that kids can play safely in a playground without having to be confronted uh, with open uh, hard drug use, uh, is, is a bit of a uh, head-scratcher for me as to why the province would be pushing back so hard uh, on that type of a concept. So you can be pretty sure that Millibar and the rest of his BC United Caucus will continue to push this issue in the legislature. Sophie, they've made some headway in this. Last week, for the first time, Premier David Eby described the decriminalization uh, policy as an experiment and noted that if it doesn't turn out to be working, that it would be revisited. Haven't heard that type of language before. So the government seems to be quite a bit softening on this, not completely abandoning it. But again, the opposition is not going to let this one go. All right. Thanks for that, Keith. Coming up, recruitment crisis at the RCMP. That's obviously very concerning. What a new report reveals about staffing struggles in the force. And thou shalt not steal. What Pope Francis told reporters that has Indigenous communities hopeful they'll get back what is rightfully theirs. Good news here in Langley on of a multi-vehicle crash. Jackpot is $18 million plus a classic $5 million jackpot. Two jackpots on every draw. Tristy was sitting Global One above Highway One in Langley. A report obtained by Global News shows RCMP staffing concerns have been going on for much longer than the flip-flopping on which force will police Surrey. But as Richard Zussman reports, the head of the Mounties Union says the findings in this report are outdated. Not only is the RCMP struggling to recruit officers, it's threatening its ability to serve. And my responsibility is public safety, not just for Surrey, but for the rest of the, rest of the province. Um, that's obviously very concerning. These are the findings of the Management Advisory Board advising the RCMP. The report obtained by Global News supports many of the concerns when it comes to staffing the Surrey RCMP as well. The report reading... More than once, the task force heard the recruitment situation described as a crisis, a descriptor that did not strike the task force as exaggerated. And when you read uh, in this report that the uh, recruitment uh, is, uh, is a crisis and they describe it as that is not uh, an exaggeration, that that's what they heard, um, you know, that's the kind of information uh, that... Uh, we receive in terms of the the analysis. The BC government recommended last week Surrey move forward with the Surrey Police Service and did not have access to the report before making that recommendation. The main reason was concerns over the RCMP's ability to staff. The head of the RCMP union says the report was done more than a year ago. A lot has changed. They were obviously coming to it from a very recent post-pandemic depot. The report is dated June 2022, before Locke made her commitment to stick with the RCMP in Surrey. Over the last year, demand to enter the force has grown and turnaround time has improved. And seeing the numbers on a regular basis about what's coming into the pipeline for uh, applicants and how quickly the RCMP is actually processing those applicants, I have no doubt that they will be able to meet the demands. While there are clearly challenges when it comes to recruiting for the RCMP, Surrey's Mayor Brenda Locke points to the challenges around recruiting and training new officers for the Surrey Police Service, saying the Justice Institute is not getting enough officers through the program. Not having the JI able to, um, to put the uh, recruits into, uh, into play. 
the SPS will have to, have to poach from everybody else. The province confident the Justice Institute is graduating enough officers and increasing those graduates has been part of the plan to transition to the Surrey Police Service all along. Richard Lisbon, Global News, Victoria. A truck carrying 17,000 litres of diesel has been successfully recovered from the environmentally sensitive waters of Johnstone Strait. Back on April 20th, the truck rolled off a barge just off the coast of Hardwick Island, coming to rest in about 35 metres of water. Since then, divers and teams from the Hamayas Guardians, Coast Guard and the Western Canada Marine Response Corporation have been looking for and patching leaks. Now that the truck has been raised to the surface, it has been determined about 2,500 litres of fuel leaked out. Monitoring of the area is ongoing. Well, the province has reached a new deal to guide resource development and revenue sharing on lands belonging to the McLeod Lake Indian Band. The deal was announced this morning in Victoria. It commits the band and the province to co-manage industrial development. The deal will create new land use plans, help better manage wildlife and create a fund to restore lands damaged by industrial activities. The McLeod Lake Band has been at the forefront of industrial development in northeastern B.C. We have a contracting company right now that's working at um, Site C, one of the biggest mega projects in Canada today. And one third of the crews in there are from McLeod Lake, McLeod Lake band members, and making very good money. We know of their history, a very entrepreneurial and proactive history with regards to resource development and have been incredibly successful. I think this is an opportunity for the province and industry to engage even further uh, with McLeod Lake in a, in a more certain future. The McLeod Lake Indian Band is the last Treaty 8 member nation to sign on to a deal that settles years of lawsuits with the province. Pope Francis is showing a new willingness to return artifacts taken from indigenous communities in B.C. Items ranging from totem poles to regalia that were taken during colonial times and sent to Rome by missionaries. Now, as Kylie Stanton reports, indigenous leaders are welcoming the possibility of seeing these priceless pieces come home. These two poles go together. Each one tells a story documenting history, people and culture. But these totems provide only a glimpse into that world, and soon there could be a lot more to draw from. I seriously never thought I was going to hear it in my lifetime. During a press conference on a flight from Hungary to Italy, Pope Francis was asked if the church plans to return indigenous artifacts to First Nations across Canada. The Pope's response, a clear yes. Going on to reference the Catholic Church's seventh commandment, you shall not steal, saying through a translator, in the case where you can return things where it's necessary to make a gesture, better to do it. It made me think about how they will uh, differentiate between what's stolen and what's not, um, and what kind of records that's going to produce. BC is in the midst of its own repatriation process, most recently returning a totem pole taken from the Newhawk Nation. But it was a complicated process, years in the making, decades spent asking, not to mention expensive. I think the work that the government uh, should be playing in this is working with the communities to ensure that there's a place for these items to go to. If there isn't a clear uh, owner that's been identified, we should be receiving these items and storing them somewhere until that can, work can be done. 
Last spring, the First Nations, Métis, and Inuit delegations who visited the Vatican to push for reconciliation and an apology from the Catholic Church included the repatriation of artifacts from Canada in their asks. To see the door now opening is a welcome step. Well, a lot of the ancestors that, have been, that had fought for this are long gone. And, and they're in the spirit world now. So I'm sure they'll be dancing like crazy and, uh, and we'll put it up, you know, and knowing full well that, you know, these artifacts are going to go back to the, the rightful people. Still, there are a lot of unanswered questions around what the process will look like. But one thing is for sure, it's time to put the words into action. We'll hope that that happens. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Just ahead, a reckoning in real estate. The problems in commercial real estate are a canary in the coal mine. The issues facing commercial property owners and why some feel a steep price correction could be coming. And how a pair of popular street artists are helping spread an important public health message. Traffic is steady both ways over here tonight at the Patello Bridge, but keep in mind there's daily road work at both ends of the bridge deck and delays for northbound traffic during the overnight hours. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert care for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. Kermac is celebrating 50 years of collision and auto glass service. Choose the best. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Patello Bridge. The union representing more than 35,000 striking Canada Revenue Agency employees says there's still no deal. The update comes two days after the Public Service Alliance of Canada was able to reach a tentative agreement with the Treasury Board for more than 120,000 other federal workers. National President Chris Elward says if his members don't see a fair deal put on the table today, they plan to disrupt the Liberal Party's national convention over the weekend. The deal they have on the table currently is less than the deal that we reached on Treasury Board units. And we, we don't know why the Canada Revenue Agency is playing this game. Wages, remote work and job security are the main issues for CRA employees. Despite the strike, the tax deadline was not extended. Risks in Canada's residential real estate market are closely monitored, but economists and analysts are increasingly warning that we may need to pay attention to commercial real estate. As Global's Anne Gaviola reports, we could see the biggest real estate shock in office buildings, not homes. The pandemic turned Toronto's once bustling financial district into a ghost town. Offices have now reopened, but hybrid and flexible work models are the norm in many workplaces across the continent. Vacancy rates for commercial office buildings are high and economists are worried. There's a lot of reasons to be concerned about the commercial real estate sector. Less commuting is better for the environment, easier on the pocketbook. Business professor Ian Lee says this trend is here to stay and impacts demand for office space. Employers are realizing, gee, this is a huge expense, this building where I bring people in every day, five days a week, and I can save an awful lot of overhead if I can get out of those leases or ownership and have the people work virtually. Rents and prices for office space are adjusting, but many feel this is just the beginning of a real estate reckoning. That's going to profoundly impact the market value of these buildings, and there's going to be ba bankruptcies. There's going to be failures. Economist Carl Gomez warns of a price correction of as much as 50%. Nobody really knows if that's going to you know, happen instantaneously or over a period of time. 
Some see an even bigger reckoning for the U.S. market. Charlie Munger, the right-hand man of legendary investor Warren Buffett, this week warned there's a lot of trouble in office buildings, shopping centers, and other properties. The 99-year-old billionaire said there's a lot of agony out there. He says U.S. banks are full of bad loans on commercial properties, an ominous warning as American financial institutions experience turbulence from the pressure of high interest rates and waning confidence. The problems in commercial real estate are are a canary in the coal mine. Anne Gaviola, Global News, Toronto. Two well-known Vancouver street artists have teamed up with the BC Centre for Disease Control to create a colourful public health message. Artists Smokey D and Trey Helton have created a mural on Carroll Street with an important message about hepatitis C. Hep C is one of the most prevalent chronic viral infections, and the goal of the project is to make sure people are aware that a cure is available. Medication comes as a pill, and it has no side effects. People who are exposed to hepatitis C... 25% of them are able to clear the infection on their own, but 75% of people who are exposed to hepatitis C will develop a chronic infection. And this virus actually damages the liver. It's really great that we're, we're in Canada and that we have healthcare and that this treatment is available and that it's, it's a lot less uh, painful than it used to be. <laughs> so um, uh, I was cured of hep C in 2019, so this, this definitely is something important to me as well as Smokey. The BCCDC says while hep C is a leading cause of death, it is the only chronic viral infection that can be cured. It is vital equipment for late-night rescues, but it won't be used in this province. Having that capability is invaluable because you can't put a price on a life. Up next, why a BC-based night vision helicopter will be working in Alberta for the summer and not here. Plus, no room for error. A must-win game for the Abbotsford Canucks, hoping to advance in the playoffs. BC's big news. The 2023 Canadian Screen Awards have named Global News Hour at 6 the country's best local newscast. Thank you, BC, for making Global News Hour at 6 your choice for news. A decision by the B.C. government means a special night vision helicopter owned by a B.C. company will be spending most of this summer in Alberta fighting wildfires and staging rescues. Kamal Karamali tells us why. This rescue Tuesday evening was a race against time. North Shore Rescue flying to save a stranded hiker before daylight runs out. Returning safely just in time. The helicopters can fly at twilight, but they can't. these ones can't fly at night. And that's where night vision technology would make a difference. Goggles and specialized gauges. Having that capability is invaluable because you can't put a price on a life. Except there's one problem. The one North Shore Rescue has been using for the past few months has now been sent to battle fires in Alberta. We've been using it this year. Um more than 20 hours of nighttime flight on more like nine or 10 wildfires so far this season. North Shore Rescue says the owner, BC's Talon Helicopters, has signed a deal with Alberta Wildfire for 100 days starting April 1st. Although we use that helicopter a lot, it pales in comparison to the amount of use that we'll get um, during a wildfire season. 
But local rescuers want the province to have one chopper with nighttime technology dedicated solely to BC. Although nighttime aerial rescues happen only about 20 times a year, the rescue service says it can still mean the difference between life and death. It's very frustrating. Uh, so three years ago it was tested in BC, but they didn't act on it. The province says the helicopter with night vision capabilities will be back in BC eventually. Yes, it may be in Alberta at the moment, but if it's needed in British Columbia, I'm sure the arrangements can be made to, to have it here if the, if the need is greater. But with the weather warming up and more hikers out, rescuers wonder why a second helicopter can't be purchased for their own needs, which they argue is already soaring. Kamel Karamali, Global News. All right, let's bring in meteorologist Christy Gordon once again with a look at that forecast. And while it's Beautiful. It's also uh, dangerous, of course, raising the flood risk for so many parts of the province. Yeah, I mean, important to note that a lot of people are really loving this weather, but when it comes with, uh, uh, yeah, devastation for some regions, that's hard to sort of um, uh, continue to celebrate it. But today was another day of record heat and unconfirmed uh, records at this point. Uh, we had today's day six of the summer-like weather, so likely about eight broken again today with the top one being a Suyus at uh, 30.5 degrees. So certainly it is extremely hot, and we're seeing that in through Alberta as well. The other concern really was today the number of thunderstorms that we saw. So we saw pockets of isolated thunderstorms with downpours of, of, um, of rain along with those thunderstorms. Now, tomorrow conditions are going to clear out. One more hot day on the way. Friday temperatures will start to come down. We are expecting, though, as the temperatures come down, a pulse of rainfall to shift in. And it also comes with thunderstorms embedded in it. So heavy rainfall along with that. That extends from the boundary region through the Okanagan and up through the central and and then by the weekend, we'll start to see that shift into these areas as well. So the Kootenai region by that point, Saturday and Sunday being Im impacted as well. There's your forecast for your Thursday. Another hot one. Temperatures in the upper 20s from Williams Lake right down into the Suyus Merritt as well. And for our region, uh, not as hot, but we are expecting uh, some uh, summer-like conditions with temperatures away from the water reaching 23 degrees in Maple Ridge and Chilliwack, for example. Much cooler, though, on Friday with a high of only 11 degrees degrees and periods of rain and then it looks very unsettled as we head into the weekend. So I thought I would brighten things up with this photo from Abbotsford and Badgera capturing this. Uh, this is the Abbotsford Tulip Festival which is happening right now. Look at that one flower sticking out there Soph. He's like I need to be higher. <laughs> they should be planting the flowers in Abbotsford Canucks colors. Red Squire? Oh, Yes which green. Would be blue. blue. Green. White. Yeah. I don't know if they're a blue are there blue tulips? I don't know. I've never seen one. I have bring no them. idea about flowers. Um, that's right. You don't bring me flowers. That's why. I'm sorry. That's not, <laughs> you know, that'd be an excellent title for a song. You should really pen something. I can buy myself flowers. Right. It's fine. But it is a good segue because it's all about Abbotsford. The flowers are from Abbotsford, and the Abbotsford Canucks are playing game three tonight against the Calgary Wranglers. It's a best of five. Players are getting ready by playing some soccer. Fans are getting ready. They can't lose any more in this best of five. Abbotsford basically has to win three in a row. Also tonight, Calgary's new quantum hub and how it could help advance everything from medicine to AI.
all the teams that come to play. When BC needs to connect, BC turns to the source that brings us together. Global News. I'm talking to our promotions department because every time I see these things, they always pick the clip of me on bad hair days. I mean... Not that there aren't many good hair days. Do you think days. maybe it's something... Are they trying to send you a message? Is it... That is all my hair days you? are bad? I don't know what the deal is. someone mad at you? I don't know. I hope not. I well, think you look fine. I've always been nice to them. Okay, but let's... Uh, let's see. do it. Uh, this is okay. Uh, anyway. Yeah, don't, don't choose this night either for the future <laughs> promos. So the Abbotsford Canucks are in a must-win situation. I know that's cliche, but truly, they must win tonight, and they must win Game 4, and they must win Game 5 because they're down 2-0 in a best-of-five series. So you need a three-game win streak to stay in the playoffs. The good news for Abbotsford, we said this the other day, Game 3 tonight is at home. If they need a Game 4, it's Friday at home. If they need a Game 5, it's Sunday at home. Jay Janauer is out in Abbotsford, and he has the head coach with him as they get ready for Game 3 against Calgary. For the first time this postseason, the Abbotsford Canucks need to win or their season is over and done. Tonight marks the 15th time that you'll play the Calgary Wranglers. There was 12 in the regular season. Of course, the two playoff games. Has there been a recurring theme or a pattern the way that you guys have played each other? Really competitive games. Uh, they're an excellent team, best in the league, and uh, it's been excellent hockey when we played them. Obviously, uh, tonight we need a result. I uh, thought we, you know, we had two overtime games there in Calgary, and obviously you get a bounce and come back 1-1, but uh, we still feel we're in good position. We just got to find a way to get a win. Yeah, you said that yesterday when we were here at practice. You said, you know what, I like where we're at right now because you're a very even-keeled hockey team. Yeah, I mean, I don't like that we're down 0-2, obviously, right? To, to, but putting that aside, um, you know, we expected this to go five games. It's up to us to get it there. Uh, we have an opportunity to play at home here where we've, we've been very good. So we've got to rise to the challenge, and uh, I believe we will. All right, before I let you go, I know you've got a really good mix of uh, veterans and, and youngsters in that dressing room. I'm wondering if you let them talk to each other before the game or, or if you have a special message for them, because I know prior to the start of the playoffs, Ryan Johnson gave them a, a very good message in regards to April hockey players versus players who are still playing in June. Do you let them get themselves pumped up for this game, or are you going to say something to them? It's business as usual. We'll prepare for this game like we have every other game this year. Um, we know the importance of it. We understand the situation we're in. It's about playing at our level, and we do that. we got a good chance. Really appreciate you chatting with us before the game. Abbotsford wins game three. We'll see game four and hopefully a game five here all the rest of the series out here in Abbotsford Square. Thank you very much. Akira Schmidt was the hero for the Devils against the Rangers. 4-1 record, two shutouts, but he got blown away tonight in game one against Carolina. It's already 1-0. Now it's 2-0. Seth Jarvis sets unassisted. Lost in the Seattle-Boston cast before the playoffs began, and all the hype for Toronto is just how good Carolina is. Yes, Barry Kokaniemi scoring here. 3-0 at that point. 5-1 the final. The Hurricanes win game one of that series. Well, the only thing we have been seeing, the only thing we have been seeing, I should say, at Whitecap games lately is saves and misses. No goals. Vancouver hasn't allowed a goal in their last four MLS games, which is great, but their last two games have ended 0-0. You want to see a soccer goal? you got to watch somebody else. However, the Whitecaps are getting Sergio Cordova back for this Saturday's game at home against Minnesota. He was the guy they brought in in the offseason to score the bulk of their goals, but 
he's had some hamstring issues. Now, he won't play the whole game on Saturday, but he is there if needed. And if things don't change, I'm thinking he's going to be needed. Uh, it's uh, something that, of course, we're very happy that Sergio is back. It's an option more. Uh, we'll have to be very intelligent or to avoid any, I would say, uh, risk of re-injury. So we'll be cautious with him, but at the same time, we'll be, he will be ready if it's for 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes uh, to, to help the team uh, win the game. If only they had given huge money to this guy, and it would have had to have been really, really, really huge. Erling Holland sets a record today in the Premier League with his 35th goal of the season, most ever in the Premier League in one year, as he helps Manchester City to a 3-0 win over West Ham. There you go. All right, thanks, Fire. Up next, how Calgary is taking a quantum leap in computer science. From the stories that affect us all to a look at what's happening right now around us. When BC needs to connect, BC turns to the source that brings us together. Global News. Jordan Armstrong here now with a look ahead to Global News at 11. Jordan? Sophie Surrey's ethics commissioner is actively reviewing a complaint against a city councillor. Rob Stutt is a member of Mayor Brenda Locke's team and he has cast pivotal votes on the future of the policing transition. But the Surrey Police Union alleges he was in a conflict of interest as they say two of his children work for Surrey RCMP. At 11, find out how this could complicate council's future decisions on policing. Sophie. As if they weren't complicated enough. Exactly. Thanks, Jordan. Well, it's an area of computer science potentially confusing and definitely complex. We're talking about quantum computing. And the province of Alberta wants to go all in, hoping to build Calgary as a quantum city. Global Sarah often has more on what that means and the potential impact. This is the hum of the future of computing. Wires, lasers and wavelengths at work here since the 1990s. We were doing this before quantum was cool. Quantum mechanics studies science at the smallest subatomic level and is the basis for quantum computing, a powerful tool opening up a world of possibilities. Life-saving drugs, carbon neutrality and artificial intelligence rivaling Hollywood thrillers. You are terminated. Classic computers use a binary system, which, much like a coin, can be flipped heads or tails. But a quantum bit can represent a number of states at once, allowing its computers to sift through a multitude of possibilities. And if that all sounds like a messy operation, you're on the right track. Quantum information is just more finicky than any other form of information. It's something that you cannot copy. Uh, it gets lost very easy, it gets disturbed very easy. Which is why researchers here inside the University of Calgary's Quantum Hub are using the latest technology to reduce things like noise and heat. We go down to 7 millikelvin, so 700 of a uh, degree above uh, absolute zero. Creating a perfectly stable environment for an incredibly disruptive technology. It no longer plays by the rules that we're used to, that we learn about, and then that can offer extreme advantages, but also threats. Any existing encryption methods that are being used classically now 
are, are going to be rendered completely insecure. Leaving researchers in a race to not only crack the quantum code, but to simultaneously create a new model of quantum security. We're very far ahead in, in demonstrating in this lab and actual implementations of quantum cryptography. International quantum companies are already setting up shop in Alberta. The U of C will start offering professional programs in January, preparing for the many possibilities and uncertainties of a quantum economy. Sarah Often, Global News. Do you remember when we thought Pong was like, wow? <laughs> yeah. I know, so different now. Yeah. And mm -hmm. dial up was cool. I missed my typewriter. Yeah. Remember Napster? <laughs> yes, I do remember Napster. No. You don't remember Napster? I don't. You know, where you could share all the no. music? Oh. Okay. Oh. oh. <laughs> We're teaching Christy something new now <laughs> from the 90s. I remember yeah. records and cassettes. <laughs> yeah. That's how old we are. Okay. Uh, final word on the weather, Christy. Sure. So uh, big changes come on Friday. Tomorrow is another hot one right across the province. Uh, Vancouver Island, you'll start to see some rainfall tomorrow, but particularly Friday is when we're going to see the change. And again, BC River Forecast Centre concerned about significant flood hazard this weekend. So stay tuned. I'm sure. Squire, you probably had the record high score in Plum. I might have, yes. <laughs> and also in Donkey Kong Jr. Good night, all.